This doesn't make any sense. I mean, who built a house in the middle of a graveyard like this? <laughs> Might have been the other way around. Yeah, but still. Hell of a way to fertilize your lawn, eh? What the hell are we doing in a place like this? We're gonna get in trouble if we hang around here. This has got to be private property. Don't stay. Just leave the trouble to me. So old. We can't dance around here all night. Let's go. Somebody might live here. I don't think anyone lives here. No one lives here. It's empty. It's two movies for the price of one, or rather, two parts of one movie filmed years apart from each other. Either way, it's awesomely bad. We're still up all night, and this episode, we watched Spookies. Hello, everybody, and welcome to USA Up All Night with me, Rhonda. Hi, I'm Gilbert Godfrey, the comedian in the cupboard for USA Up All Night. In this movie, you'll see two of your favorite stars. Now, if you drink enough beer, you'll start seeing more of your favorite stars. Stay with me on USA Up All Night. Welcome to a Halloween edition of Still Up All Night, the podcast that celebrates the sometimes scary films of USA's Up All Night series. I'm Travis Yates, joined by the lover of all things horror, Rob Katie. Rob, it's Halloween season, and you've been in horror mode for 30-plus days now. Uh, tell us a bit about how your horror, horror movie-a-thon went this year. That's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, it's been a blast this year. I, I found some, some I think, really nice uh, hidden gems, and and um, you know there really haven't been too many just outright stinkers uh, on the list of a couple slow ones to start. But I found value in just about everything I've watched, and uh, a, a couple that I, I really particularly enjoyed that have have continued to stick with me, you know, days after viewing. So if so. somebody wanted to go back retroactively and read all 31 movies that you're watching, where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm at robkd one R-O-B-C-A-D-Y-1. There you go. And you uh, you post some nice, I mean, it's, it's more than just a tweet. You really, it turns into a mini thread and, and it, it, it you've got some nice reviews there. So. Uh, if you are a horror fan, as uh, as Rob is, then uh, I recommend tracking him down on Twitter and, and checking out his his takes on there. So, of course, with this being Halloween, a special Halloween episode of Still Up All Night, I deferred to you to pick the movie, and you came up with uh, Spookies. It's really it uh, it's really our first horror film since episode three and Sorority Girls and the Creature from Hell. We watched Return to Horror High two episodes ago, but that was almost more of a parody than a true horror film. So, uh, Rob, what made you pick this film? Well, it's it's kind of got a, a torrid um, past uh, or a, a unique past in terms of uh, filming, which I'm sure we'll get into to more detail. But uh, you know, ostensibly. It, it started as one movie, and um, due to uh, uh, various issues, um, a lot of the footage was just outright chucked, and a new director was brought in, new scenes uh, were filmed, and they slapped these two uh, shorter movies together, and we ended up with Spookies. And, and really, when you read the description, it certainly sounds like a, a fun time, and even even from some of, some of the reviews, and... Uh, yeah, we'll get into what it actually is, but um, 
yeah, it's it's a unique movie from from that stance that uh, I think deserves to be seen. And and from what I understand, there are some some DVD or Blu-ray collections out there that capture all of this really well. Yes, we will get into all of this. Let's first talk about its connection with USA Up All Night. So Spookies was made in 1986. It had a limited release in theaters in 1987 and eventually made its way to cable in 1988. And as you said, it was kind of a mix of two films made at different times. A fun fact, it has three credited directors. Brendan Faulkner and Thomas Duran are credited as directors of the unfinished film that was originally titled Twisted Souls. And then Jeannie Joseph is credited as the director of Spookies, the final product. Um, some production on the film that was initially titled Twisted Souls, the production actually began in 1984, Rob. I mean, we're talking almost <laughs> kind of early 80s. The film was being edited when the filmmakers had a falling out with British film financial backer Michael Lee, and the film was never finished. And then the following year, Lee hired Jeannie Joseph, uh, who was an editor with Troma at the time, and an entirely new production crew and cast to shoot some new footage, and then the two productions, as you mentioned earlier, were merged into one, creating Spookies. So Spookies first aired on USA Up All Night on September 30th, 1989, as the last of three features that night, a.k.a. the one without a host, (laughs) Um, or the one if you managed to stay up for it. Uh, It only aired one more time, Rob, on October 5th, 1991, as part of a scary movie trilogy that included Cemetery High and Prom Night 3, The Last Kiss. So an unheralded up all night film to say the least. Would you agree? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because one of the um, reviews I read or one of the you know blurbs about it sort of <clears throat> talked about it finally finding a home on USA Up All Night. So it's interesting to hear. Yeah, it only aired twice. So is that really finding a home? Exactly. <laughs> I, I read that review too, and, and likewise, I thought, well, that sounds like some of our other films where it played five times, six times, or or even near double digits. But no, just twice, and both times, even without a host, which is almost like a forgotten film uh, in that respect, because if you don't have Rhonda or Gilbert uh, leading you into it, you haven't really made it, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Rob, I always say that every film has a story to tell. And you you started us out. The backstory of this movie is probably more interesting than the actual films uh, or the actual film itself. Twisted Souls, the initial film, was shot at the John Jay estate in Rye, New York. Are you familiar with John Jay? I am not. So this 24-room colonial house originally belonged to Jay, who co-authored the Federalist Papers and was the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and the second governor of New York. Wow, I just got history shamed. Absolutely. I I should have known that. (laughs) Uh, So Max Every from the website The Dissolve uh, actually offers an oral history of Spookies titled The Strange Saga of Spookies. This is really interesting if you like this film and you want to Learn even more about it, but we can give you a little bit of information. Every begins by writing, This is a tale nobody wanted to be told. It's a cautionary tale of an obscure 1980s horror film 
cobbled together from work by two separate groups of filmmaker working on the same set with two totally different casts. And that is exactly what we end up getting. <laughs> uh, in initial interviews with the first set of producers and directors, screenwriter and producer Frank Farrell said of their relationship with this finan British financial backer, Michael Lee, we just wanted to make the best film possible. After starting out saying, I don't know anything about it, you guys are the experts, Lee then proceeded to oversee almost everything. I literally had to go over every penny spent in order for him to release the money on a week-to-week -week basis. So it sounds like you know things went south when Lee got antsy during the post-production stage. Apparently, he took the first rough cut of Twisted Souls which was about two and a half hours, and that is a you know standard rough cut where you, you haven't gone in and chopped everything up and made everything super cohesive. He screened it for a big film company in Hong Kong who, of course, cringed at the film because they didn't realize that it was the unrefined rough cut. They thought it was the final cut. This all led to a big blow-up where the filmmakers quit the project and just left all the, uh, the rough cut with Lee. So here's where things get kind of wild, Rob. Lee took the project to, as I said, trauma editor Jeannie Joseph, who actually got her start in the adult film industry. Now, we've seen this connection a lot to some of the movies yeah. with USA Up All Night, and it's continuing here. So Lee also talked to some additional people in the adult fi film industry for advice, and, uh, and Joseph and her porn industry partners suggested they keep about 45 minutes of the initial footage and then shoot some new footage to rework the film. And so that's exactly what they did. Um, there's still bad blood today between Jeannie Joseph yes. and her crew and the initial group of filmmakers and producers. Even the two cinematographers, Ken Kelch and Bob Chappelle, haven't spoken since the ordeal, and they were friends at the time. So a small film that causes big ripples in the burgeoning 80s low-budget horror film industry. Uh, Rob, do you know how they finally decided on the name Spookies? I don't remember that nugget. So according to Jeannie Joseph, uh, Lee said, well, Goonies worked, so let's Ooh. call it Spookies. That's right. <laughs> so, we, which is such a, when you suggested this movie, I hadn't heard of this movie. I don't remember seeing it, so I must have fallen asleep before the third film on both of these nights. And I thought, Spookies, I mean, this just sounds ridiculous. And, um, well, it is a You're little ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. <laughs> So somehow, Rob, Sony picked up this film from Lee and released it in January of 87. Any idea what the theatrical gross for Spookies was? Oh, it was like 18 grand or something. Yeah, almost on the mark. Yeah, yeah, a whopping $17,785 to be exact. But it did gross about $2.5 million in video sales, as you know these films often did in the 80s. So... Still a lucrative. Sony saw the 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 market still even in the now late eighties with this with this film and and went for it and easily made their money back. So yeah. Mike Michael Lee, this mysterious British film financier, he's somewhat of like a failed Tommy Wiseau character, uh, <laughs> according to this article in the Dissolve. Tragedy struck when Lee's son was killed in a car accident, and shortly after that, he divorced his wife and then left the film business for good. No one associated with Spookies knows where Lee is today or can even produce a photograph of him. So a very mysterious character in the lore of 80s low-budget films. Absolutely. 
So last November, you mentioned this uh, earlier, last November, a company called Vinegar Syndrome released a two-disc Blu-ray of the movie. And Rob, we will get into what others are saying uh, later uh, up in the film as, uh, about the film as we always do. But the Blu-ray release has a 4.4 out of 5 star rating on Amazon. And that's not a mistake like the mix-up with Sour Grapes was. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, that, I mean, that's sort of uh, Vinegar Syndrome's MO. They, they, they find these older, lesser-known uh, 80s or even older movies that can often be hard to find or have crazy stories, and, and they somehow, you know, you know, they gain the rights, get it on DVD, and then find ways to produce bonus content that is always just top notch. They, you know, they track down people that were involved and get interviews and get oral histories. And yeah, that's that's sort of the, the world they live in. They have a, a true appreciation for these, you know, like up all USA up all night movies or or these hidden lost gems. Yeah, their their catalog is vast. It's very impressive. Yes. I checked out their website. So if you are interested in these type of films, definitely check out Vinegar Syndrome uh, online. And yeah, the people that purchase this on Amazon love it. Now, now, of course, if you're you know buying a special edition Blu-ray of an obscure '80s film, it's because you already know that you love it. So there's <laughs> certainly some bias there. But you know, it shows the cult following that this film has. So absolutely, yeah. So let's dig into this crazy film, Rob. Um, we we open on a Twisted Souls production graphic, so kind of surprising given all the bad blood between the original film team and then the new crew that made this version, uh, that they would even reference Twisted Souls, don't you think? I, yeah, I was surprised by that too, but I had to think there was some sort of obligation somewhere in there. You know, since they were using upwards of 40 minutes of, of that footage that they would have to, to credit them in some way. Yeah, it could be. Maybe they thought it would be a nice homage. I mean, it, it's funny because all of the credits feature doubles. So, you know, cinematography yeah. by two people, music by two people. Everyone is getting credited in this film. So it's funny to watch those opening credits. Uh, so a lot of interspersed exposition happening in the beginning of a film Uh we see a grave covered in chains outside of a vine-covered mansion, and uh, that was the J house, and, and the, the grave is kind of heaving up and down. Then we see an old man talking to a casket. The old man's name is Creon, by the way, and we'll circle back to him. But then we see a boy in the woods talking to himself, and then we see two carloads of people driving lost through the woods, presumably all happening near this creepy house. And then three minutes in, we see the low-budget goodness that we've come to expect these two cars of people lost in the woods. They're supposed to be driving. The camera's fixed on the hood of the car, shooting in through the window, and the car is kind of being, you know, shaken up and down to make it look like it's moving. But the camera's zoomed out enough that you see a tree in the background not moving at all. I don't know if you picked up on that. <laughs> I've missed that nugget. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um so there's a 13-year-old boy named Billy in this wooded area, and he's, he's run away from home because his parents forgot his birthday. And he's being watched by this kind of monster with a hook for a hand. And I didn't know it at first. It, it, some kind of mask it looked like that reminded me kind of of Leatherface uh, from Texas Chainsaw in the trees. But it's apparently a werecat, half werewolf, yeah. half feline. Well, I, I don't know that there's even werewolf... I thought that's what it was at first, some sort of wolf man. And then obviously later we get to the meowing yeah. and I, 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 yeah, some sort of werecat familiar for, for Creon. I, I don't know. It's never, never addressed, uh, never explained. Yeah. yeah. 
for for all the exposition we get, we don't ever get an explanation of of who this werecat is, how this werecat came to be. But he's but he serves at the at the feet of of Creon, and he's half cat, but he really doesn't. We don't realize it yet. Right now, he's just this creepy yeah. creepy monster lurking in the woods. Well, even then, he's only listed as Creon's servant. Yes. So never. Yeah. There's no assistance there in, in no. name or <laughs> no. Um, okay, so then um, the the boy is startled by some drifter in the trees who looked like David from Lost Boys, but this was actually made before Lost Boys, so because this was part of the original footage, so it wasn't a ripoff like I like I thought. But uh, mm. um, so the drifter is played by an actor named Pat Wesley Bryan. Now I have a saying about guys with two first names. Do you know what it is, <laughs> Rob? No, you never you never trust a guy with two first names. So what am I supposed to do with a guy that has three first names? Three first names. Uh, Antichrist, maybe. I have so many questions. I have so many questions already. The three first names. What's with these woods that they're getting so much foot traffic? You know, you got little boys, (laughs) drifters, cars. Oh, so we're cat we're, monsters. Cat monsters. We're off to the races already. Our boy Billy tells the vagabond that he has big plans, and then just moves on. And as he's leaving, the guy, um, the the monster with the hook, our werecat, kills the vagrant, just like that. No explanation. Just yep. he's dead. Billy, of course, doesn't see it. Now, next, he's walking through the cemetery towards this house. Now, Rob, I remember being thirteen, and I remember my friends. And there is no 13-year-old in 1987 in the United States that's walking through the cemetery towards this house with the ease that Billy does. <laughs> what did you make of his just casual well, saunter through the cemetery? The, yeah, this house that the entire front lawn is a creepy cemetery and, you know, just saunters up to the house, barely batting an eye at, you know, these like 40 graves that... Uh, yeah, that I mean that sort of encapsulates this movie as a whole. At, at this point, I'm already going. Wait, what is going on? Right. So, Werecat drags it, drags a big tree branch into the middle of the road. We're now over back to the the people in the cars, forcing these two cars to stop. And then, okay, we get a little character development, Rob, <laughs> and it's so good. So, this is all so confusing. Now, this is the new cast, and. Uh, we don't know this yet, but of course, as the movie unfolds and knowing the story, you, you start to piece it all together. So there's one car that's kind of full of youngsters. They're loud, they're obnoxious, they're drinking. One guy has this hand puppet for some reason. That's his kind of shtick through the whole movie. And the driver, Duke, played by Nick Gionta, he looks like he can play every you know New York beefcake, beefcake tough guy. He's wearing all black leather, like so 80s early 80s it's it's outdated by the time the movie yeah. comes out he's got yeah. zi- you know black leather with zippers i mean looks like an early michael jackson video but this you know came out in, in almost 88 <laughs> but then the other car is full of like older button-up folks the driver's <laughs> wearing a you know a, a, a suit and uh you know the suits are following the youngsters to get to a party they reference at one point we've been driving for two hours what what why are they happening here the back I, well it sounded like they had left some other thing they were at <clears throat> and were on their way either home, but Duke was leading them on a wild goose chase looking for more fun, basically. I mean, the backstory of how these two carloads of people got to this point could be its own movie, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd pay to see that because... So, such an odd you know, 
two sets of cars yeah. just diametrically opposed a, a you know a suited buttoned up refined group and you know a leather leather clad uh you know italian tough guy yeah you know half the other guy's age it, yeah it was it was odd and we get these cutaways to <clears throat> Werecat kind of you know looking on but you start to to realize okay there's something weird here and it's because the Werecat he th- this was all part of the initial um footage Shot, twisted, twisted souls, souls. Yeah. and then the the these two carloads and this this is the new cast this is saved by the bell the next class and <laughs> so they are uh not a part of the original footage so you never see and throughout the entire movie as we'll get to you never see where cat and these people actually in the same scene <laughs> uh so okay let's go back now billy goes into the house and he finds a birthday party all set up for him. But when he opens one of the presents, it's Creon's head in the box, predating Seven by eight years. So, <laughs> What's in the box? Did, did Seven get their inspiration from uh, Spookies? Maybe. We don't know. Um, Billy, I'll go on record now and say yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Just stole it directly from Spookies. We're seeing the inspiration for so many classic films come from these USA Up All Night films. I'm telling you, <laughs> the, the, the influence is so great. Um, so Billy runs out of the house. Um, just as Duke and his friends pull up to the house, so they we never see them in the same scene as well. Um, and so they they all decide to go into the house, uh, and, and that was the opening <laughs> uh, segment that we uh, heard at the top of the episode. And it reminds me of the current like Geico. I think it's a Geico commercial where you know the the people are in a scary movie and they're making all the bad choices and yeah. <laughs> Let's hide behind these chainsaws. Right, right. Why don't we just get into that moving car? No, we go to the cemetery. What are you, what are you thinking? And that's what they're doing in, in that scene and they, when they decide to go into this house that they now think is abandoned to party because they couldn't find the initial party they were looking for for some reason. Um, but then Billy is running off being chased by the werecat and what I can only describe as like a feral pirate chasing a boy. I mean, the werecat's wearing this white puffy shirt, the hook for a hand, and he's kind of jumping up and down like he's part animal. And the scene is so cheesy because there's this this heavy synth music playing, and then they're dropping like these whoosh sound effect every time werecat swings his hook while he's chasing Billy. And then it, he finally catches up with Billy and does what a werecat would do, apparently. Buries him alive? Yeah. This scene... Shoves him in a hole and then yeah. just buries him alive. This, Rob, this scene is this scene goes on for so long. It's just intercutting of Billy struggling and the werecat rapidly trying to shovel in dirt into the grave. And it kept repeating like the same kind of stinger music over and over. <laughs> Rob, I timed it. It was 45 seconds of the werecat shoveling dirt into a hole. Well, it's also a little known fact that this is uh, where Step Brothers got the idea. So another blatant ripoff. Uh, blatantly. Of I mean, we're finding so many nuggets 
all born out of this movie that was so good it was two movies combined into one okay so rob i'm lost at this point by any of the motivations of our characters uh two groups that don't look like they'd ever be friends driving hours to find a party that doesn't exist and end up settling on walking into an abandoned house only to drink by themselves um rob someone wrote this film someone wrote this script and in fact, someone took another movie that was already shot and said, no, that movie doesn't make sense. This will make sense. Let's just keep the scary shots from that other movie. So to quote the hilarious Jason Manzukas from How Did This Get How Did This Get Made? What is happening? No, we're no clue. I mean, we we get that short scene with Creon even where he's talking to the casket, but there's no real indication of his connection to any of this or or what yeah, what he's attempting to do, and yeah, so, it's yeah. a hot mess already. We should we should talk a little bit about Creon, because so he's talking to a casket that he eventually opens, and there's a young lady in there, and we, we learn that he's trying to bring her back to life. And he needs, I guess, pe- dead bodies to do it? Never explained. Never explained. Don't know what he needs, uh, other than he is, you know, likens the entire scenario to to him playing chess. And, you know, he's multiple moves ahead of everyone else. And if he needs dead bodies to bring her back to life, I mean, he's got a graveyard out front. So he had all the <laughs> bodies at one point that he wanted. I'm not sure why these, you know, eight people are going to make the difference, but apparently they are. Um, this might be the slowest movie ever. We're only 22 minutes into the film at this point, Rob. Um, and we have a plot alert, though. So the group discovers a Ouija board. And then at this point, Carol, one of the one of the new class, we'll call them, uh, is acting possessed. I don't know anything about Carol because who needs character development? But thanks to wooden dialogue, I know she's acting strange and, and is in like yeah. a trance-like state. Um by the time the group wises up and decides to leave, it's too late. Carol has turned into a monster. The makeup looked pretty good, I thought, kind of like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. Um, what, what the makeup did uh, the whole the teeth component yeah. just kept totally taking. Yeah, you know, it just looked like they had jammed some <laughs> some fangs up under her lip, and she had to sort of focus to <laughs> to keep them in her mouth. Right. Well. The makeup might have looked good, but then she spoke, and yeah. it sounded um, electronic. I mean, like almost like something you'd hear from an animatronic figure at a theme park. That's the best way I could describe it. What did you think of her when she started speaking? Well, I think, you know, and I didn't figure this out till later. I believe it's supposed to be Creon speaking through her. So that so they, I think, made some attempts to sort of merge their voices yet yeah, okay. yeah it, it sounded electronic mm-hmm. i love you when know, carol particularly with his his bad accent <laughs> i love when carol is attacking all of them the guy that had that hand puppet and brought all the beer he wouldn't drop either the puppet or the <laughs> beer even though he thought their friend was clearly possessed and trying to kill them like there's a scene where he falls to the ground and he's like per- trying to keep both of them in his hand it's so great um, so then they, they leave the house, but zombies start coming out of the grave in the yard and keep the gang in the house. So, of course, the smart thing to do, they split up into small groups to explore the house. 
again. Well, after after vehemently arguing with one another about the situation at hand, yes, you know that's really the reason why they split split up because they all can't stand each other in that moment. Well, thank God they did split up because this leads us to the scene we absolutely have to talk about: the flatulent mummies. Is I guess what how you would describe them? The mud monsters. Mud monsters. Yeah. So there's a scene where Duke and Linda are in the basement, and these um, muck men, uh, I guess, is what they're apparently called or referred to by one of the uh, producers of the film. So we'll we'll go with that. They climb out from the floor. They're pretty good looking creatures, and then they start farting. Just loudly and incessantly over, over like over <laughs> all other sounds. Yeah. There's one sequence when one of them is fighting Duke and he just lets out three in a row. <laughs> Rapid fire. It is ridiculously hilarious. You know, maybe there's some way out of here. Maybe through some secret walls. <laughs> <laughs> There are some moments in this film that are in the spirit of Return to Horror High, but I think it's less explicit and more by accident. Uh, This scene was actually a contentious one between new director Jeannie Joseph and the money man Michael Lee. According to Joseph, the two had a knockdown dragout fight over this. She went on to say, The deal we had was we'd put the sounds in, go to the mix, and see how it sounded. I should have never agreed to that. The sound mixer burst out laughing, and Michael said, See, everybody loves that. <laughs> so laughing in, laughing, uh, and at the, it ruins the element, but he was the boss, and he won. For me, that was a horrifying decision. I wanted to quit on the spot, but I needed to see it through. So that this scene almost made the second director quit. Or third, technically, director yeah, quit. Third. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, but yet, it, it is, I mean, in, in looking back on this, some of the uh, other folks involved with it say, you know, this is the scene that's always talked about. So, Which, yeah, I'll give them credit for that. It so stands out against the rest of the movie. And it, yeah, it does give you something to talk about. I, I'll just never under quite understand the motivation yeah. for it. Well, I, mean, I think... Just the, even the the humor element of it doesn't fit with the humor in the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it shows this, you know, this Michael Lee character really is a Tommy Wiseau when it comes to just, you know, entertaining himself and not really having a grasp at necessarily <laughs> how the whole thing works altogether. So, um, all right, at the 41-minute mark, we get the gist of the whole thing here. So Creon, the the creepy old German puppet master, no relation to the guy with the hand puppet, uh, needed to kill all these people to bring his dead bride, Isabel, back. But once Isabel comes back, she tells him, I poisoned myself once, I'll do it again, and then she runs off. She didn't even want to come back. Didn't even want to come back. So Isabel is played by 
Maria Pachukas, and she'd have a cup of coffee in Hollywood thanks to director Jay Lind, who featured Pachukas in several other low-budget films like uh, the vampire flick Carmilla and the comedy Do You Like Women? Sadly, Pachuca died three years ago at the age of 50. Um, so Creon and Isabel, they have a son. And he's a creepy-looking thing with blue skin and a cloak on. And then from from here on out, um, Creon and the boy play chess. And Creon kind of lays out the guidelines of being a sorcerer. So now we've learned yeah. he's a sorcerer. And, and how death is their source of power. Again, because this is two movies edited into one this doesn't fit with the rest of the monster stuff happening. Uh, I get needing to kill people for power, but what's with all the weird monsters in this house? Yeah, no, you know, that's it. It turns into his method of murder, but at no point does he reference them or, or is shown in, in terms of like actively using them or creating them. They just seem to be residents of the house. <laughs> Aside, you know, he, he takes camp in the basement and the rest of the house is full of monsters. Yeah. So the rest of the movie is the group slowly getting picked off one by one. Uh, sometimes by cool looking creatures, you had a scene where a woman was transformed into a giant spider that was pretty cool. Uh, and then another where the, a trio gets chased by what looks like a Six Flags animatronic Grim Reaper, which was not yeah. very cool. <laughs> um, that, that, that. Uh, emits green gas and then is, you know, thrown off a roof to explode for <laughs> whatever reason. Right. Uh, so every... I, I will say, though, that I, I did like the spider. I, I thought, that, you know, finally there was some some special effects skills shown on that transformation. And the end result was was pretty creepy and gross. And I think that for me, was was the highlight of the monsters. Mine too. Uh, it was, and they took their time with it, and you know, it was they kind of lured one of the characters in to the to the room, pretending that they were also you know somebody that had been there a while, and and I had made the mistake of of grabbing some uh, chips and ranch. Yeah. <laughs> during right before that scene, and so I, I and it it made me lose my appetite. So I mean, it, it was effective, and I'll I'll give it that definitely. Um, but then the, then you had like the weird lightning bolts coming from another one. Like the, the monsters didn't even have, uh, any cohesion to them, you know, no, you know not s- at all. some look. And again, this was a mix. So you don't know which one, most of the times it was obvious. I mean, it, you could even see it was shot with different film stock. Uh, the, 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 the earlier scenes, uh, look different than the newer stuff that was shot. But, um, uh, but there wasn't a lot of cohesion to the to the monsters in general. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd be super curious to to learn, you know, which monster was from which movie, and and it, like, is there a, a clear division there of you know? So as years have passed. Is there an advancement in, in that special effect line of things, or or you know, is it as simple as taking you know taking a look at them and saying, well that. That monster doesn't look so good. It must be from the earlier version. Because, I mean, that's one of the things they talk about in sort of the history of this is, you know, them having some some capable special effects people on hand both times. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to learn who did what. Yeah, the only giveaway is if you see the new crew, the new cast, uh, and a monster in the same shot together, 
mm-hmm. you'd know that at least that was. But then are they recreating uh, yeah. something yeah. as well? They might have done that too. So yeah, it's, it's tricky to say. So eventually, even though this is the kind of featured cast here, everyone succumbs to the monsters or spookies, I suppose they're supposed to be called. Called. Um, <laughs> And it just seems so cheesy uh, that, you know, there's no, you don't get the, the last girl standing trope uh, like we're so used to seeing in these in these types of films, at least from this cast, because we still have one person after a failed escaped Isabel returns to Creon's quarters with a knife and pulls a swerve. She tells him that she'll love him forever, and then she stabs him in the head, killing him, and runs off from the house. And we get a really cool scene, I thought, where all of the people that Creon has killed to bring Isabel back to life that are now in the cemetery, presumably, they all start coming out of the ground as zombies and chase her, complete with this like upbeat music that unfortunately seems way out of place for the film. But they, it's some really cool, the way it was shot kind of, kind of claustrophobic at times and and some interesting cinematography and editing. What'd you think of that zombie chase scene, Rob? Yeah, it sort of reminded me of some of Romero's like Day of the Dead type stuff where, you know, uh, without the gore, though, because normally in a scene like that in a, in a zombie movie, you know, that's when they start just tearing the person apart. Yeah, and, and it's the time to have your big effects moment. And, and they just kind of grab her and paw at her and she continuously escapes. But, uh, yeah, I thought, as you said, there was some effectiveness in that, although, again, it doesn't really fit with anything else that had happened before the you know in the movie but i did i did think that scene was effective okay so it's the climax of the film here isabel escapes from the zombies comes across a station wagon and um, despite being dead for 70 years jumps into the car and tries to start it um so minor script flaw there but okay um the zombies are closing in again but the owner of the car shows up and asks lady what are you doing in my car so she tells him to get them out of there. So we're getting cutaways to the opening shot now of that big grave in front of the house that's pulsating and, and moving. So something's happening there. Then we go back to the car where Isabel says, I can't believe I'm finally free. And the driver turns and says, no, you're not. I've always loved you too. And it's Werecat. Meow. And he's rubbing his hook against his face like a cat would rub its paw against itself. Oh, it's so <laughs> cheesy. Uh, and then cut away to the grave that finally bursts open and surprise, it's Creon. And uh, if you didn't know that was uh, that you know he was already coming back from the dead, then it cut away to the son who turns to the camera and laughs. So now he's powerful too and can bring back the dead. And then a final cutaway to Creon laughing and cut to credits. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Creon with a, a fresh hole in his head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, laughing. I mean, th- this was con- the ending was kind of a letdown for me, Rob. What did you think of this uh, ending? 100% agree that, you know, I, I sort of was expecting a little more resolution with the people in the house. Yeah. That just, just kind of fizzled out, you know. I, after we moved on, I was like, wait, so they're all dead? And then we cut to this scene and, uh, yeah, again, not sort of unsatisfying left me like, oh, I guess I guess that's it. This is kind of like um, No Country for Old Men when um, (laughs) Llewellyn doesn't even die on camera. We just kind of come stumble across him in a hotel room dead. Uh, So, again, No Country for Old Men inspired by spookies. (laughs) Another blatant ripoff. That's right. Um, 
And we can surmise, I'm assuming, Rob, because of the cast used here, that this was the original Twisted Souls ending as well, don't you think? Because this is the, the Isabel and Creon and the boy, they, they were all a part of the Twisted Souls cast. Yes, I, I, have, to, I have to think that's the case. And Which it, makes me wonder, like, what, where, where was that movie? What was the actual story that movie told? Yeah, because if the, if the, I'd love to get my hands on that rough cut that's two and a half hours long. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we ha- we might have to get the special edition DVD or Blu-ray on this because maybe it's on there. Maybe that's why it's got yeah, so many. Or, or at least one of the interviews, um, they maybe go into what that actually was. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Rob, it's time to see what other people are saying about Spookies. We know that the folks on Amazon buying the uh, special edition Blu-ray like it, but surprisingly... Uh, there is both a tomato meter and an audience score for this movie. What do you think the tomato meter score is? These are official scores from film <laughs> critics from 1 to 100%. I will say that's at 45%. Um, it received a rotten rating of 20% Ooh, with just wow. one of five uh, critics giving it a fresh rating. Uh, Katie Duggan of Take One Magazine said... It delivers on exactly what its title promises. It overflows with spooky spirits and creepy creatures filling a decrepit haunted mansion to the brim. What more could you ask for? So Katie Duggan of Take One Magazine liked it. The remaining did not. How about uh, the average audience score from 1 to 100%? What do you think that is? Oh... I'll give it a 65% from the audience. It has an audience score of just 18%, lower than the critics' score. (laughs) Um, So Holly T gave it three stars because she knows exactly who the audience for this movie was, writing, I really wish I could have seen this as a child. As an adult, it's hard not to focus on how it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, Devon W. had a cathartic and life-changing moment while watching the film. I'm not kidding. He wrote, one of the best schlocky B-horror movies of the 80s, first movie I saw as a kid where the kid gets killed, that traumatized the hell out of me. Holy crap, kids can die. Everything I know is a lie. Great fun and underappreciated film despite its ample amount of flaws. And uh, Devin W. gave it four stars, so a life-changing moment for him. Uh, And then Chris J. was quick to the point with a a one-and-a-half-star review writing, any more than half a star would be for the wet special makeup effects. Other than that, man, this was really bad. So wet yeah. special makeup effects. Okay. I don't Yeah, I'm not pick sure up on that, but that all right. Exactly yeah. So yeah, uh, not, I mean, those, and those were kind of the highlights of the reviews. The rest were pretty, Oof, um, pretty biting. Um, yeah. So uh, rotten tomato, not a fan, even though on Amazon they are. So um, there you go. A nice little, uh, opposition all right it's time for us to weigh in on the movie itself rob is spookies the little film that took almost four years to see the light of day and three directors and two cinematographers and two special effects crews is it worth staying up all night for i think with a a slight caveat of knowing the backstory i think if you just went in blind looking for, you know, sort of a cheesy B-movie horror monster flick, you'd be severely disappointed. But knowing a little bit of the backstory, I think it's definitely worth a watch. That's funny. We're on the same point because I, 
I broke this up kind of into two parts. From a filmmaking standpoint, I'd say yes, it is worth staying up all night for. But from a pure enjoyment standpoint, I'd say no. So again, if you know the backstory and you want to see how it was put together. Um, the movie lost me once the group started wandering around the house 30 minutes in and you realize that most of the monsters won't even be on screen with them. It's just, yeah, you know, yeah. wandering, cut away to scary monster, more wandering, cut away, occasionally some interaction between monster and human. I think they would have been better served to just shoot an entirely new movie. Um, however, from a filmmaking standpoint, it is interesting to see how Jeannie Joseph tried to piece this thing together. It reminded me of the work of Neil Breen. Rob, are you familiar with Neil Breen? Have we brought him up on this podcast before? I don't think we have. I know the name and I'm just blanking as to how I know the name. Yeah, so Neil Breen is what they call a vanity filmmaker. He makes low-budget films in the most unique and, I suppose, creative way. He uses stock footage as the basis for most of his <clears throat> work, so just footage that anybody can can purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh or you know, copyright-free footage, and then he shoots himself as the protagonist and just all-around good guy, the only person who can save the world, that kind of thing. He narrates <laughs> most of the film to tell you what's happening like throughout because it just it lacks any kind of plot. Occasionally, there's some dialogue. Uh, it these these things are really a thing to behold. Um, we need- yes, I. Go ahead. I, I just looked up uh, looked up his name, and I, I definitely have seen him before. So yeah, that, I must have stumbled across him online or something. And yeah, we, we I, I know now. We really need to dig into his work somehow on this podcast, even though he came after you say up all night's time. But uh, anyway, this this reminds me a bit of that. Where here's some footage, uh, work a movie around it. Um, and, and they did. So that's that's his style of what he does. So, um, you know, the way a lot of the original footage was used as a backdrop for the film, especially the werecat lurking around everywhere at every corner, yet never actually being on screen with the second set of actors. It was all very Neil Breenish to, to me. So. Yeah, well, I loved how they used him basically as um, a plot device as to why the cast couldn't exit certain rooms. They, they became locked in the room and then you pay into the next sequence and it's because the cat guy's holding the door, <laughs> the door right. shut. Uh, dare, uh, you know, <laughs> dare I say the, the, even though I, I panned the writers of this film earlier, it's probably more work went into trying to write the second script around all the footage <laughs> Oh, that couldn't have been easy. Then, I mean, they they should have, they deserve some sort of award for for their uh, arduous task there. They probably put in more work than a lot of the screenwriters that that year. So. Yeah, for me, it was was waiting to see what monster was next and and would it top the previous monster. That's primarily what what kept my interest. But yeah, the, the limited interaction with them was disappointing, but it was fun to see. You know, because some of them I thought, you know, were, were pretty effective, like the Spider-Woman. But uh, when the one uh, uh, character, I can't remember his name, went outside and got sucked underground and then came back as a zombie, he mm-hmm. looked he looked pretty good when he came back. And there were a few others that weren't, weren't horrible. But, yeah, definitely there were a few that, uh, as you characterized, looked like, you know, cheesy scares from a theme park. Yeah. Yeah, definitely hit or miss, depending on, on the scene. But uh, an interesting film, one of the most interesting that we've covered for sure um, on this podcast. All right. And now, uh, Rob, 
we're going to do our first request film next episode. We've got a request from a listener. All right. uh, are you ready for the big reveal? Yes. Next episode, we're watching Surf Nazis Must Die. Yeah. There it is. So come back next episode to find out just exactly what a surf Nazi is and if they died. Uh, it's more cheesy USA Up All Night fun. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Still Up Podcast. If you've got a favorite old B movie that you want us to dive into, just let us know. And until next time, stay away from weird abandoned houses with graveyards. And happy Halloween. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>